Okay, so so welcome back uh, for uh, for this lunch uh, lunch keynote uh, discussion. Uh, my name is Guntram Wolfen. I'm pleased to welcome today Robert Kroplewski, plenipotentiary of the Minister of Digitization for the Information Society and Minister of Digital Af Ministry at the Ministry of Digital Affairs in Poland. Thank you very much uh, for joining us today. And of course, also Jakim Reiter, uh, Group External Affairs Director at, at Vodafone. So what we plan to do today, thank you for being here. So what we plan to do uh, today is um, to have each of you uh, give a presentation, short presentation, presentation how you would address the issue. So the issue being the overall issue of this conference, rethinking industrial policy in the digital age, what are the challenges for Europe. And once we've heard the two interventions, um, I will try to sort of moderate and ask you a few follow-up questions, but of course um, also make sure that uh, you in the audience will have a chance to ask one or two questions to, to each of the, of the two uh, panelists. Um, Robert, I think you're first, so thank you very much for coming and um, we look forward to your intervention. I'm first, thank you very much uh, to be here for invitation and uh, having very good uh, and wisdom people uh, in front of us. Um, we have a chance to present, present the Polish uh, state of digital uh, challenging. Um, uh, thank you for that. And maybe I try to um, create a, a, some points very important for our policy. But I think it's uh, also uh, very influential for European po policy. And uh, I think also that since three years of our government, we had a, um, some influ influence uh, for, for changing of digital single market. Uh, strategy, yes. And uh, three years ago, we, we um, uh, established that uh, concept of uh, industry for zero, it's not for Polish uh, policy. Why? Because industry for zero, it's uh, only the di digital copy of uh, existing industrial relations. And we uh, ordered special uh, expertise of counting fl flowing of data in our, uh, our, uh, our country and how flowing of data create influence uh, for our GDP and our, our uh, micro um, economy. And it's shown that 46% uh, uh, of flowing of data um, has an influence of GDP. And it was a result not only for, for Poland, but only for, uh, also for Visegrad countries, and also for German, and also for, for France. That was a special expertise uh, dedicated for Europe. That expertise was presented two years ago in, 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 in Brussels. But for us, that was the first reason to, to think and create the special digital policy um, about data. It's um, that time that was a time of uh, flowing of data, but for us, uh, that was a sign that uh, the data is uh, last good uh, asset. Uh, uh, on, on that, we, we could create the productivity. Uh, and uh, we, we discover, and this is may, maybe a proposition for our uh, previous panel today, and, and that we discovered that, that uh, nobody as an owner of data. Data, it's a copy of environment. Um, but of course, if we think about uh, personal data, we have a different story. Yes, of course, we have a personal data like a type of ownership. But, but the, the share, um, um, if, we, if we share data on personal and non-personal, now we could see that only 10% of 
big box, it's only the personal data. The rest is in industrial data, environmental data. And because of that, we still have a big asset of, uh, for our productivity in, in Europe, if you think about rethinking industrial policy. Um, it is, uh, Polish idea is like that, that uh, it's uh, very important to create the special ecosystem of sharing of data. We called that, that system like a virtual warehouses of data. This is a special club. We try to establish uh, that, that uh, idea uh, among our uh, entrepreneurs, uh, our company. First, it was the state companies, and now we have uh, new members. That, that, that is a special club when the member present data in the API uh, in um, interface, yes, mm -hmm. and uh, in the special open system inside, they could observe data, observe process and, and, and methodology of uh, analyzing of data. And uh, only the members of the club has a have a possibility of observing and uh, analyzing the data. Other people other companies who, who are outside of that club doesn't have a possibility. And uh, why it's uh, so so tricky? Because uh, we're afraid about uh, influence of giants, for example, coming from the maybe United States, but also from, from China and other countries. But that uh, methodology uh, is very open for them also. If they <coughs> would like to be more open, they could present through EPI their system inside and present data, and because of that, uh, the data from giants could be the part of uh, our um, environment of data. We called that kind of system like a, a cyber trust ecosystem of data. Um, why um, that concept we promote inside of our in our country, but of all, also <coughs> on the level of uh, Europe and. Uh, outside, outside Europe, Europe, because we discovered that um, without data, uh, any company could follow, uh, fall down in the innovation depth. And finally, even giants fall down in the innovation depth. Why? What they do since maybe 15 years? They ask us about data, still, every second ask us. Last gold in Europe, it's not maybe personal data now, but industrial data. And because of that, we are very in the in good moment that we could create a special ecosystem uh, of sharing industrial data among the European entrepreneurs, yes, to create the um, very good environment of, of productivity and well, finally well-being of our citizens. And uh, of course, this, it, it could be um, upper step because we could promote that kind of idea outside of Europe. For, for example, we have a very like-minded country like Japan, lastly, yes, Singapore, also Canada, yes, they think the same. Uh, and last uh, changing of maybe not policy yet, but um, consideration of policy in the United States about uh, position of giants and the, the, the antitrust policy. Maybe it's a good time to talk with a uh, United States government to, to create the like-minded space of exchanging data and sharing data in that kind of uh, model. 
this is like like that. Uh, maybe I, I, I take a step back. Um, why we try to um, uh, launch that, uh, that 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 model? Because we believe that data is not oil. Data it's the, the, the data like oil. It's a vintage concept because of industrial access. Many things, especially if we think about inter, uh, Internet of Things. But if you think on that, that that was our pro proposition. Data is like air. The artificial intelligence breath air and exchange and give back the data like air. And that could create the special competition, not competition, environment uh, for, for Europe. This is our believeness and we try to promote and uh, create and, uh, and uh, asking offer for our uh, alliance. Yes, this is for on the beginning. Well, well, thank you very much. That was fascinating. And let me ask you one follow-up question. I mean, you mentioned, and I thought that was quite impressive, that only 10% of the data are personal data and the rest is industrial, oh, industrial. all kinds of uh, other other data, including uh, data that are entered into into the, into your smartphone when you ask questions and so on on, and on Google or whatever. Uh, and then you said that uh, basically Poland is building, I think you called it a cyber uh, 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 ecosystem of data. Um, yeah. Or a cyber security ecosystem of data. This is a cyber trust ecosystem. A cyber trust. Um, so, so can you say a few more words on how you created that? I mean, what, what did you do exactly? And how, how is the data managed? Who's, who's in charge of this? Now it's, uh, of, of course, the laboratory concept. Uh, we, right. we check um, everything, like uh, in the special sandbox. Coming from the state, like I said before, and, and uh, private. But um, we have uh, two levels. That the kind of club uh, needs to have a cyber security, like regularly. We, we understand that that situation and that that uh, that environment. But trust is another level. Trust is it's not the cyber security, but uh, the the level of uh, interoperability, the same interoperability, the same standards, and because of that, the. The members of the club could share, present the, the data. Nobody uh, is able to download data. Yes, it's it for for that uh, model. Uh, it is very enough to, um, to only have a possibility to observe data through the API uh, interfaces. And the uh, logic is like a uh, like a labyrinth in the pyramid. You have uh, many rooms. If you are the same kind of member, if you, if you present from your company, um, for example, first step step uh, of openness, you have a possibility, the right to to ask uh, anybody for step uh, first step openness only, not 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 more. And uh, I th I think that finally that will be special um, agreement, uh, like like a, like a, like a, for example. Um, maybe the special code for, for how to share, uh, could you share, uh, share data. We try to launch that concept on, uh, not only in Poland, uh, but uh, very, we have a very basic um, um, experience and uh, cooperation with uh, the countries from Visegrad uh, agreement. And also uh, uh, we try to promote that concept in, in the three, uh, digital treaties uh, initiative also. Thank you very much. Um, now, Joachim, over to you. Rethinking industrial policy in the digital age. Where would you put your accent? So I will um, 
try to cover five points, but the overarching message is one of scale, efficiency slash frenemies, which goes to the heart of the previous speaker referred to, and finally, good regulation. Um, it, Vodafone's starting point into this is that uh, we have uh, not only recognized but also been uh, fully plugged into a shift of the sector in the sense that we're moving from what is viewed as uh, telco being a sector to one which we call techcom, where you have the overlay of telecom and ICT and then the plugging in of ICT, that new merge sector into um, into the real economy. And that creates a lot of frictions, which I think we uh, need to, as part of our industrial policy rethink, we need to address. The first one is, of course, that uh, whatever you put as a layer on top is that if there are some enabling factors. You can't talk about digitization of the real economy in an effective way unless Europe addresses a number of enabling factors. First is, of course, the persistent infrastructure gap second is the skills gap, and third is the research and development gap. Now, I would say that Europe is quite well familiar with the first, the latter two, in the sense of talking about skills gap and research and development, including with the multi-annual uh, framework. Uh, what we're quite worried about is the uh, lack of understanding of how to tackle the infrastructure gap. Um, well, you have to go back to basics, frankly. Um, European telco is uh, third year running, the worst performing sector in Europe. We have price deflation equivalent to the Greek financial crisis annually. So there is, needs to be a fundamental understanding that if you want infrastructure, you need scale. And currently, there's absolutely no scale economies in <coughs> building the infrastructure that all the digital applications for the real economy will run on. So I think there's a lot of homework in that sense. But fundamentally, for me, it's about moving the needle on the CapEx portfolio of the industry. Uh, we have lower, as an industry, we have lower return on own capital than the cost of capital, which uh, I wouldn't say this publicly, perhaps, in that sense. But uh, to be honest, if you, you shouldn't run a business like that. When you borrow money from the bank and put it into an investment, and then the return on investment less than the cost of the borrowing of the money, it's really not a healthy situation to be in. So I think Europe needs to really step on the infrastructure part. That's one. Um, uh, and there's a lot to be done there. Uh, we, Europe did take a code which needs to be faithfully implemented, but it's, uh, it's far from moving the needle. Uh, secondly is uh, the question around data, which uh, the previous speaker referred to, and I, I think it was a very good point on that it's like air. And we have to understand also, and Europe is a little bit stuck in the, in the misunderstanding what's the difference between personal and non-personal data. The reality is that as we move into a 5G world, and when we talk about the convergence between the ICT sector, including telco, with the real economy, actually the real fuel of the real air is the machine-to-machine -machine data. So the number of the regulations that we build up around personal data, all of which we support strongly and think are absolutely appropriate for Europe to have, it needs to think about the shift in a communication network that is no longer about people-to-people -people communication. And uh, uh, one of the things that was referred to here is data sharing. So data sharing would be absolutely crucial to Europe to find a, not a national way, but a European way of doing proper voluntary data sharing between across sectors. There was a bank representative in the previous panel that referred to that as well. In other words, he's sharing data in one direction, but he's not getting it in the other direction. And it's a completely fair point to be said. We worked with Deloitte to actually put a price tag on that. Uh, if we Europe had a proper framework for um, uh, promoting voluntary data sharing, it would be equivalent to adding another Spain in in terms of GDP to the European economy. 
So to forego that opportunity would not be a smart industrial policy uh, tool uh, for the Europe going forward. Of course, linked to that as well, we need to, as part of understanding the data, understand the value, for example, when we apply competition law and how we uh, uh, look at merger cases, which has um, there's been some improvements in that direction, but uh, uh, for sure quite a lot more is needed. Third point is around platforms. There's a lot of discussions around platforms, but in the end, in this world uh, of uh, the merger of ICT with, uh, uh, with the real economy, you will find a number of uh, actors uh, being very, very powerful in terms of uh, intermediaries or aggregators. Uh, uh, full disclosure, Vodafone is such a platform on IoT. We're the Europe's largest IoT platform on SIM connectivity. But we do think there is a genuine question to be asked around when platforms, there's a linear development in the platform space between being a platform enabling people to actually have a marketplace to one where you evolve into first being an ecosystem and that's where you get to the question around bargaining power and the uh, uh, shift in the balance of power between the, those that are using the platform and those that are providing the platform. And then the final step in this journey is the closed garden situation, which, for example, is uh, among one of the two operating systems. Now, if you just think about that, we cannot have a situation where competition law actually only kicks in after all the damage 10 years down the road has been put in place or has, has happened in the marketplace, the, the consequences for European economy and actually for the innovation, but also for all of those that uh, uh, the, the positives of platforms uh, uh, is undermined if we don't have a system of reacting much more quicker. That was one of the reasons why Vodafone, despite being a platform player as well, supported, for example, the platform to business regulation, including unfair commercial practices prohibition because we do think there needs to be some rules of the game because of the enormous bargaining power that you get when you devise platforms if you have a business plan to move them into closed uh, gardens. The fourth point is on IoT. I have to be brutally honest here. Because of the misunderstanding of moving from people to people to communication to machine to machine communication, and in that journey, the fact that we plug up things that are currently enjoying the free flow of goods within the European Union, one of the main achievements of the European Union as one of the four freedoms. The misunderstanding here is that people don't pay attention that all telco regulation is national still today in the European Union. There is no single market for telco. So what does that imply when you put a SIM into a car? It means that actually the car in the past could be sold to a separate member state the day after. It can no longer be the case. You have to go to the telco regulator of that other EU member state, and you actually have to spend, in the, a concrete example, nine months to get the car approved because the car is connected. So just imagine a situation where we start connecting everything. Are we on the verge of dismantling the internal market and the free flow of goods through the back door because we allow free flow of dumb products but not free flow of smart products? And of course, what happens when you merge something where you have an internal market with something which does not have an internal market is unfortunately the stickiest regulation applies. And unfortunately, the stickiest regulation is one defined by national boundaries still today. So I don't know why, but some member states still think it's a really smart idea that if you have a fire at home, you would run to your toaster and make an emergency call. Personally, I would use my phone rather than my toaster. But these type of conditions still exist because the journey of understanding what a 5G IoT will look like 
one driven by machine-to-machine -machine data, not person-to-person -person communication, has not been done properly in Europe yet. So I think a big thing for the next commission will be to develop a horizontal IoT uh, policy regulation or framework that takes away the fragmentation that we otherwise run the risk of having for pretty much all connected goods uh, that are flowing currently in Europe. The, uh, the final point I wanted to mention um, is uh, one of quality. There is, a, there, is, there is a need for a discussion, a very genuine discussion. It links to a number of the other previous points, but also my previous speaker referred to the question around security or trust. I think we as uh, industry, as well as together with policymakers, need to have a very frank discussion between ourselves whether the simplest uh, focus until now of many policymakers, which has been price deflation, is the best measurement of a ubiquitous system where everything is connected. The minute you walk into a ubiquitous system where everything is connected, people should care a little bit more about security. And security is not for free. So that is one of the reasons why you have a big discussion in Europe around security today, including around one vendor. But the reality is that overall, Europe has underinvested in its cybersecurity capabilities, including to tackle cyber attacks. Overall, I, you know, currently we have a system where you, if I sell a television set in Europe, I actually have to test it against European standards so it doesn't blow up and burn people's houses down. But I can sell a network equipment of which, upon which you sell, um, provide the ubiquitous system of 5G without actually having a standard to meet. And I would argue that networks, when it comes to the things that we actually build the entire society upon, we need to have a common understanding on the type of standards we expect. So that's one of the reasons why Vodafone has been very vocal over the last few weeks, arguing that the European Council, including that is meeting today, should actually kickstart a process to develop common security standards, testing and certification in Europe. Now, we're moving anyway to a software-defined product environment. So the journey that we're going to do with networks, which is basically predominant software-defined, is similar, by the way, to the car industry. Tesla is a car, is a computer on wheels. It can change the, the performance of the braking system by a software update. How do you run a type approval system in such a world? Europe needs to be able to answer these questions as we move forward, but do so with mindfulness around the quality that European consumers expect. And that is a trade-off. That means that we, Europe needs to end the perpetual cycle of purely in, injecting new artificial competition into a system which has destroyed the return on capital of investing in quality of networks or quality of services. And that's a really tough discussion that Europe is going to have to have over the next three to four years, where I hope it will get it right. But it is not the situation where we can continue having a 29% price deflation annually on the network and assume that people are going to be really happy investing in quality. Europe is going to get the networks it deserves, and what it deserves it will be defined by its political choices. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Uh, a lot of points on which, on which to pick up and, and, and ask further questions. I guess one, one point where perhaps I want to push you a bit is this whole competition policy discussion where I, I, it seems to me you, you have distinguished two, two different things. One is competition policy enforcement on the network where you, um, uh, I guess, uh, uh, believe that there is too much competition, therefore um, prices are falling too much. If I, I, I'm probably over, uh, oversimplifying a bit, perhaps you can 
elaborate a bit on that. But then you, you mentioned, and I, I found that quite, quite interesting, that competition policy and competition law cannot only kick in ex post uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, platform regulation and um, and platform uh, platform competition supervision, where currently it's very strong exposed, mm. but ex ante um, uh, it's probably not not very present. So when it comes to the design of the platform, so, so, so can you walk us a little bit through sure. these uh, these two two arguments of competition <laughs> policy? Sure. So the, on the first point, I'm not. Uh, um, I think it would be a mistake on both of these points, by the way, to put the whole burden on the strict instrument of competition law or competition policy. I think the, that's part of our message is that if you look, for example, on uh, the artificial creation of unsustainable, financially unsustainable actors in telco, injected, usually it's not by competition law that they were necessarily created. It's spectrum set aside, which is a massive state subsidy basically to a new entrant, <coughs> considering the price that everyone else has to pay in the market. And what usually happens is that they are sustainable for three, four years, destroy a massive amount of value in the sector, and then we have to buy them. And then we reset. And then the NRA does another spectrum set aside, and we do this perpetual cycle of this. If you look at what we are arguing is you need to start to understand the value chain. Currently, we are operating in a value chain of a digital value chain, where, for example, when I were run my 5G network, the current perception of European policymakers is that it's great for Europe to have 200 plus operators, but there's no problem whatsoever. There's only three cloud providers worldwide, not even in Europe, worldwide. And all of these 200 operators are going to work, have to partner with the hyperscalers in cloud. And so you could just walk, if you think through the value chain, my problem here is not that we shouldn't have fierce competition. We should have absolutely fierce competition. We do not believe in Vodafone that uh, a reduction of competition is the solution. The problem is the question on artificial state-sponsored injection for which there's no financial basis. That's the difference. And that's unfortunately what we see many times by telecom regulators, particularly inspective auctions, where it's played out uh, uh, visibly uh, across Europe. And you have to ask yourself this question. When Europe is having uh, half of US uh, return on capital on infrastructure deployment, and US has four players competing across the entire market, and Europe has 200 plus players competing in individual small markets, as opposed to competing fiercely across Europe, because there's no scale economies in this sector. You have to ask yourself whether you have found the right uh, magic bullet. So, so, so the problem is lack of uh, sorry the problem is lack of integration of the market exactly right? so the problem is it's much the problem more is lack single market uh, absolutely uh, I, I think it's a single market issue. issue there's no one has figured out how to create scale economies and actually have a proper internal market with respect to telecommunications and infrastructure and if you can't do that you were operating basically in small markets if you then on top of it had a perception on what's the perfect number in never of those markets and that may well be justified I'm not questioning there's a perpetual discussion around four versus three. I don't think that's really the issue. I think once you get moved into converged proper infrastructure deployment through network sharing agreements, which the industry is going for now, de facto you're talking about two networks. There's no point in pulling four or five lines into a home. You may have two. But then it will be fierce in the service provision of that, in fierce competition, in selling to customers in the customer interface. But on the second thing, it goes to the same point. Don't place all the eggs in one basket, which is competition policy. I think actually, with respect to digital, uh, the current commission has uh, stepped up significantly in terms of enforcement within the boundaries of its current approach. 
I think we do have to have a discussion, and Vestair has launched her consultation, which we think was very, very good that she launched that. We fed in our views on it. But our point is, and also our experience uh, uh, through negotiating with a number of other platforms that we rely on, is some basic ex-ante rules of the game are useful because it is an incredible bargaining power you get from uh, platforms. You have a choice whether you want to be an open platform or a closed platform. We have under our CEO said very clearly we want to be an open platform to nurture that other people innovate on top of our platform even if we didn't get part of the value. We see that as our scale opportunity, but it means that we have no problem whatsoever of actually setting some boundaries up front. Well, there's many other issues we could pick up. Uh, so, so, but but I do want to give you uh, in the audience a chance to react. Um, and I know that Scott um, uh, uh, from from Bruegel would like to sort of ask one question. I, I suppose on the on the infrastructure, which is uh, which is much more subject of his expertise and less of mine. Uh. Uh, the uh, about the great about uh, 200 network operators across Europe. I, I certainly agree, some consolidation would be healthy in Europe. Now, you operate across multiple member states, some 18, I think, a, a big number anyway. Uh, there's very few network operators that do, and an awful lot of the consolidation that's been attempted in recent years has been con uh, consolidation within member states. Uh, it, mergers across member state boundaries would probably not be hard to get through, is there, is there any way, basically, to, to motivate uh, other companies in, this, in the sector to do more of the consolidation that would help to build the scale that's needed? Uh, thank you. Thank you. Let, me, let me collect a few, a few comments and questions on the various points that were made. Uh, please. Uh, well, okay, one after the other, so please. <laughs> Hello. Uh, my name is Bert Haig from BVA. Uh, you mentioned... Um, uh, in your speech, the operating system that is the World Guardian. Um, what uh, could be done against this? I mean, this is the smaller operating system, smaller market, so maybe there is no market dominance that, or abuse, or what could be done against this situation? Yeah, um, my name is Moni, I'm a European financial expert. Uh, a question to our colleague from Poland. Um, we know that uh, digital companies are very small, uh, very fragile, and very vulnerable. Um, uh, they need uh, desperately uh, public, uh, public support in order to grow up and uh, in order to become also more efficient and more... Uh, and more, uh, more present on the globalized, uh, globalized world economy. Uh, what is uh, the experience in Poland? I mean, what is the, 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 the state support that these uh, digital companies are receiving in Poland? And uh, how and to what extent the European uh, financial support to Poland through regional funds or cohesion funds, etc., are directed towards the, regional, the, the digital, uh, digital industry? in order to make it more uh, efficient, more robust, and more integra integrated, globally speaking. Thank you. So I, I can take uh, two, two more uh, questions. Um, anybody in the back? Ideally a woman. <laughs> yeah, not very gender balanced here. 
Okay, so well. Okay, so so um, why, why don't you start and then Joachim? And if anybody has an idea in between, please please don't hesitate to raise your hand. I still I have a privilege to be first, but thank you very much for <laughs> for that and, and excuse me for colleague. And also, uh, if you want to comment on anything that Joachim said, uh, please uh, please go ahead. Huh? And I mean, if there's an aspect you want to pick up, yeah, but also start maybe, with answering questions. Maybe I, I uh, use your suggestion, um, but from the different point of view. Uh, before uh, asking and uh, answering for your question, I try to maybe uh, um, write. The, the general picture. We don't believe so much for um, enforcing regulatory in uh, Europe if we think about uh, antitrust uh, framework. We don't have time. We rather need to organize like entrepreneurship ships and, and governmental agency or governments also in a very quick way for of course, uh, the European policy of, uh, for example, uh, create, uh, cre creating productivity and well-being uh, our our region. Uh, because of that, we are very much of, of uh, support uh, the digital single market second version or second view or plus on like, like what what you what you like, but not like uh, to cancel barriers. Because that step, rather we, we we did, but how to empower and center of excellence, the, our assets, our uh, funds, European funds, and how to how to maybe create the special network between European funds bank uh, cross boldly to create the. Um, Coordinated um, network, uh, who, uh, which will support the, the entrepreneurs. Why we, we uh, think on this way? Because the the value of European um, economy is about 70 billion dollars. American 19 billion dollars. It's the difference, rather not nothing. Yes, and the, the problem is only one: how to how we cooperate, how we coordinate the resources, funds, and finally the the people. And um, the, if, even uh, if we uh, take a step back um, to the um, um, Buenos Aires uh, WTO uh, agenda. We, that was one year ago, like that. That was completely bankrupt, bankruptcy, and, and, and no, any of members could uh, um, ask other members to create a very offensive digital agenda to create the trans-border and global framework. For example, uh, if we think about competition or antitrust uh, rules, and because of that, we rather don't don't believe um, for quick results. And because of that, we rather focus on how to build the ecosystem. And if for trying to ask an uh, answer for your question, of course we um, we are not so. Um, we are a big country, but our, our productivity it's, uh, it's, maybe it's not so so big. We try to establish ecosystem and how to government could support the SMEs and SMEs is spe special. Um, aim of us. We rather, uh, in our policy, thinks, uh, think about uh, SMEs and how to could empower uh, and arm uh, SMEs in front of 
other uh, companies uh, bigger. Uh, but we, of course, uh, are very interested about knowledge. And if some international com company could uh, invest in our uh, country and create the ecosystem of, uh, to create uh, the, the, the knowledge uh, among of, uh, big and giants, for example, and uh, SMEs, that is very good. It is very welcome. Uh, now we try to conclude the um, policy strategy of artificial intelligence. Uh, it, 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 could, it could be very um, um, internal uh, thinking, but also uh, we try to find the links uh, to the coordinated plan established by European Union, we, which we found very well. That is, uh, from our perspective, second precedence. First precedence was free flow of data. Second is coordinated plan for artificial intelligence. Why? Because finally, um, the many agencies, many countries decided uh, to create a framework of co uh, coordination from many levels, funds, skills, um, uh, business and development, of course, yes, uh, research, research development. And the only one question is about education, because the for example, Chinese companies and United States and others came to Europe, not only Poland, Ireland, for mind, for well-skilled engineers, well-skilled people. And, and what we have in, in Europe, we have a very critical mind, critical thinking. We, we, we have a special possibility to, to uh, think on a very strat uh, strateg strategic uh, level, very into, into a, in, uh, on a very intuitive level, yes, uh, and way. And, um, and because of that, this is a gold. We need to keep that gold, especially in the SMEs. Yes, and uh, our program, uh, um, it, is, it is my um, idea, um, which uh, will be very focused how to keep the, that talents in the SMEs and, and create the possibility for SMEs to, to develop the uh, talents first, results second, and finally to scale the results like uh, through the, uh, for example, if, uh, if, if it's uh, algorithmic or artificial intelligence or, or other technology. I'm very, very um, happy about uh, mentioning the Internet of Things because this is the eyes of exchanging data and, and knowledge. Um, and in, if we think about the platformization, the, the, the economy of platforms, this is very important. And, and, uh, and Europe has a problem because we have a three internet, closed internet in China, closed in Russia, and very open internet belonged to the United States, but uh, living in the European Union, yes. And because of that, we rather we need to uh, create some some network, uh, um, some network uh, uh, that give us results to Europe, not not general for Chinese companies, uh, Russian companies here, and United States companies here, because the the additional value coming from our market goes abroad. Anywhere, yes, and this is a question about virtualization. Uh, for example, the, na the neighbors of Poland, it's Japan and Australia, not German and Russia. <laughs> if we think from the digital space, from the internet, yes, and this is a 
new solution, new possibility, yes. But in the same moment, uh, the, 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 we have a situation that the tax land is virtualized also. And we need to have a question, uh, put question on the, on the table, what about tax, digital tax, of course, also, yeah. This is, this is, a, so, uh, this is a question about sources, how to finance uh, our, our uh, rethinking industrial policy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Joachim. So uh, I've been confronted with this question of consolidation. I mean, yes, uh, so Vodafone has a, is we're the most pan-European uh, of all operators. Um, uh, we're the most globalized of all operators in the world on top of it. But, uh, but for sure, we, uh, are, we are the pan-European um, uh, provider through our footprint. Um, the reality, however, and that's what uh, I've been confronted with these questions many times, I mean, I, I don't see that uh, cross-border merger would push, uh, raise a lot of concerns by anyone. However, there's not a business case for it. The simple the reason why there's not a business case for it is because regulation is national. It's as simple as that. So if Europe really wanted cross-border mergers, it would figure out how to create an a business case for actually running in multiple territories. I mean, Vodafone runs its business in multiple territories in Europe. We know for a fact, because we always look for the possibility of scale, that there is none. We can do it in shared services, which is basically back office functions. And my God, if you can't do it in shared services, what can you do it for? But in the way that you run your business, in the way that you actually allocate your capital to change the profile of the capital expenditure, which is really at the heart of scale economies, i.e. you get a different way of producing what is then your final product. We don't have that. And, and, and so, you know, I often compare it with, for example, the consolidation within the car industry, then the development of common platforms for when they develop new models uh, that goes beyond pure ownership on top of it. We have nothing of that. And there's a very simple reason. Policymakers have not viewed that there's a need for an internal market, and therefore there's no need for scale, and therefore there is no a business case to actually do uh, cross-border mergers. It's as simple as that. We would love if there was a business case. Now. Um, uh, very good that it was mentioned, the free flow of data. This is one of the areas where we thought it was very, very good progress under the DSM. And in general, of course, we have been very strong supporters of DSM. We want more as opposed to less Europe. And I think as we move forward, particularly as we understand the M10 world and what is at stake in our Europe's competitiveness against China and the United States, which was also referred to here, that Europe needs to take a lead in something, we need to fix this. And we need to fix it very, very quick. Um, I would say, however, on IoT, we are actually the leader. I mean, this is not an area where Europe has lost. We have lost in many other areas, but this is an area where we haven't lost yet. But it builds on the presumption that we put in place a framework now that addresses the fragmentation of the market, that makes sure that we have proper technological neutrality, because frankly, all of the regulations that I said, the hampering in scale in Europe, is if it's SIM-based. If you do Wi-Fi, you can do n'importe quoi. You don't even have to build in security. You don't have to provide an illegal intercept. So all the rules that apply if it's connected with a SIM does not apply for the same like product, which is a like product concept, 
if it uses a different technology. So Europe really needs to figure out the concept of te technological neutrality. And unfortunately, the trends that we've seen within the Commission, mostly recently around connected cars, has not been uh, appropriate because the Commission is proposing basically a Wi-Fi, unique single-use Wi-Fi solution for a future connected car in Europe compared to the US and China that has opted for a SIM-based solution. Actually, we don't even care, as long as it's technologically neutral. Put us on par, allow us to compete, let the market decide. On the uh, operating systems, I, I'll, I'll, I'll make a more generic point, uh, to be honest. We did argue, as part of the discussions of the platform to business regulation, that operating systems and the way that operating system interacts with the App Store uh, is a critical part to understand how platforms may exert uh, inappropriate bargaining power. Uh, there is a hook in it, in the outcome of the platform to business regulation, but I think for, for the 18-month review period that we now have, including the observatory and the monitoring, it's going to be important to look more closely at this issue. I think, bottom line, I've been quite criticised, and Vodafone's been quite, quite criticised by some players for having stuck its neck out and actually argued for a platform to business regulation. Let me just be very clear on one thing. Some 10 years ago, there was a big discussion around operators being gatekeepers. Because the fundamental question here is, if you're a gatekeeper, you have two, you have two fundamental principal obligations. One is duty to deal, and the second one is duty to care. And these two basic principles needs to be enshrined somehow. So in Europe, when a long time ago when Europe started thinking about operators as being the gatekeepers to people's access to internet, you, Europe imposed net neutrality rules. So my argument has always been, well, I'm quite used to this now. It works fine. We are not even questioning net neutrality rules from the principle. Sometimes the implementation is not appropriate, particularly in a 5G world. It's not going to work the way it's interpreted right now. However, the principle of duty of care and duty to deal is logical if you're a gatekeeper. Then you just look at the value chain and it just happens that the gatekeeping role has shifted. And therefore, you just have to update your understanding of who is now exercising gatekeeping uh, capabilities. And I think this is a logical um, approach that Europe took with respect to us as an industry. And therefore, you just need to understand that the goalpost has shifted. Someone else is holding the poll with respect to the gatekeeping, and then you make sure that the way you craft legislation covers all forms of gatekeeping in this new value chain. So I think that's, you know, from us, why we also ended up in don't thinking that our position was particularly controversial, although actually, to be honest, a lot of people criticized us for being so vocal on this. Final point on warning shots. We always talk about what industrial policy should be. Let me say a little bit about what it shouldn't be. Uh, one of our concerns in Vodafone is, of course, in a post-Euro crisis, post-Brexit world, we could start experimenting too much. And one of the experimentations we see within our sector is the tendency for re-monopolization. So I'm really worried about uh, ideas floating around of maybe it's a good idea to, instead of actually doing our homework and set the regulations right, let's do a quick fix in the form of remobilizing uh, parts of either the network or some of the value addition services on top of it. I think this would be a disaster for Europe. There's absolutely no historical evidence of monopolies being innovative. So that's one area where I'm really concerned. Uh, um, the other one is, um, uh, when we look at uh, how Europe will approach this, uh, the role of the state in general needs to be discussed. And of course, Europe has a different tradition than many, and this has been a long discussion in OECD about whether state ownership per se is a problem. I think park the issue of ownership. It's not about the ownership issue. It is actually about whether we think um, uh, 
whether the state is an active player into the marketplace or not, or whether it should set the conditions right. And the conditions can be very intrusive, including to address uh, behaviors that uh, led to excessive lending or excessive borrowing in the case of a financial crisis. So there's no problem actually saying maybe we need to set the rules uh, tougher, but focus on the conditions to actually do business as opposed to now reinterpreting the role of the state to enter into the marketplace. And that's what I'm quite worried about uh, as two uh, sort of concerns as Europe look forward on industrial policy. Well, thank, thanks a lot. I, I think all of these points could be, could be and will be discussed for many, many more hours. Uh, thank you to both of you uh, for, for sharing your thoughts and your insights. Um, um, it was, I think, a fruitful lunch, uh, lunch debate, and now we, we go for the real lunch outside. Thank you. <laughs>